I can with confidence say that every one of us sitting here this evening encounters trials and difficulties every day. We face struggles and hurdles that drain us of energy, our strength, and focus. Um, some of those are just a natural byproduct of living in a fallen world, corrupted by sin. We can't avoid them. If we're living and breathing, we're going to have them. And if you haven't had them, you're going to have them. Just rest assured. Paul tells us, though, in Corinthians 1.10, if we all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being, but God will be faithful to you, he will screen and filter the severity, the nature, and the timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more, for along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of this temptation or this trial or this test victoriously. The word says so. So every day is an exam for us, to be quite honest. It's a test. And sometimes we have to cram for these tests. But after reading that scripture, we know that God is faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, But even if we are faithless, he will still be full of faith, for he never wavers in his faithfulness to us. We will not be tested beyond our ability. We will be able to bear it. And you know, we have a vast number of examples in this word of God. Just take a look at chapter 11 of Hebrews, verses 1 through 10. It's all there. And then we go to giants. Giants are different than tests and difficulties. Giants come from within. They keep us in bondage a lot of times. They're, they're internal. We take a look at our life and see the shadows of giants that have not yet been slain. We haven't defeated them yet. Some days everything is fine. And then other days, these giants crop up and they manifest themselves in depression, anger, um, lustful thoughts, greed, envy, critical thinking. We can go on and on. These are the giants I'm talking about. They wait in those dark places because we push them down. We don't want to deal with them because either we're afraid or we're embarrassed. And we've failed before, so we don't want to deal with them. But if we don't deal with them, we're never going to be free. And I'll be upfront with you, I have many giants. I've pushed them down, and they start cropping up again. And one of the giants that I have is standing right in front of you. I have attempted so many times to lose weight because my physical health is at risk. And I have fought this for years. And sometimes I get there and I'm so proud of myself because I do it myself. And then I fail again. So this is a giant for me that I have to deal with, among other things. 
So I ask myself, how come if I've given my life to Christ, if I've given him my mind, my heart, my body, my soul, I want it under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Why do I have to fight these giants every single day? And it's the battle over and over and over again. I don't have the answer, but the word of God does. We can understand why giants are still in our lives and why we can enter the battlefield and bring these giants down at their knees. The giants of our minds can be transformed into mere annoyances that we can swat away like a swarm of gnats. I want to start in Samuel, 1 Samuel, um, fourth chapter, verses one through five. I'm going to talk about the Israelites. The Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped at Ebenezer, where, while the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines lined up in battle formation against Israel, and as the battle intensified, Israel was defeated by the Philistines. They struck down 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the troops returned to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why did the Lord let us be defeated? They, we were defeated by the Philistines. Then they said, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant to the camp from Shiloh. Then it will go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. And it came into the camp. And when, when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord entered the camp, all the Israelites raised such a loud shout that the ground shook. So here's the whole story. The Ark of the Covenant was for the Israelites, the presence of God. It, they carried that Ark of the Covenant every place because it was his literal presence. It was his power. When it was with them, victory was guaranteed. And when it wasn't with them, not so much. Israel went into the Valley of Aphek without the Ark of the Covenant. It, and I'm reading this and I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you go into battle without the presence of God with you when you knew that's what you needed? Even though they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant, they went into battle and they wanted to de defeat the Philistines. That was their main goal. These were people that the Israelites had not conquered and they really were focused on just bringing them down. The Israelites felt, hey, we're God's chosen people. We can go and do this. But when they went into battle, they really weren't looking at the Lord. They were looking at winning the battle. But were they really winning the battle for the Lord? I mean, if they really were intent on doing this for the Lord, wouldn't they have taken the Ark of the Covenant with them? So they get back down to camp, and they're very defeated and, and uh, downcast. And the elders of Israel have an aha moment. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Should have done it in the beginning, but let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. So they send people to Shiloh. They bring it back into the camp. And when it gets back into the camp, you know, they are just celebratory. They're just, you know, 
Now this is not New York, a hootin' and a hollerin', but um, they raised such a loud shout that in the Bible it says the ground shook. And in verse 3 of 1 Samuel, uh, fourth chapter, it says, so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. That is why they went to get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, as they were yelling and, and, and celebrating that the Ark was with them, the Philistines heard them. They heard all of it. Scared them to death. I mean, they even said, you know, how are we going to win this? How can we possibly win this? Their God is with them now. We're doomed. And the Israelites really had a swagger about them. They were going into battle. They felt they had the Ark of the Covenant now. We're going to win. Unfortunately, the Israelites were brutally and uh, bitterly defeated. 30,000 men at that time were lost. But more catastrophic and heartbreaking was that the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. So even though the Ark was with them, and they were filled with joy, and it was brought into their camp, they forgot one rule. And it's a rule that is from beginning of time to the end of the Bible. But Matthew chapter 6 says it so perfectly. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what they didn't do. Did they bring the ark in because they were praising the Lord and they were seeking what he wanted? They brought it in because they wanted to win. At the beginning of the battle, no one had considered what God had to say or what directives he was giving them. They were handed a stunning defeat. Don't we do that sometimes? I feel like I'm a walking Ark of the Covenant. I carry the presence of God with me. His spirit lives inside of me. So I carry his presence with me into battle, and I still have giants. Why? Oftentimes, we don't consider bringing him in on our plans at the beginning. I don't ask about, I don't ask the Father, Father, how can you help me? How do you want me to approach this weight loss? How do you want me to approach this? How do you want me to approach that? How can I get more healthy for you, Father? I just go and do it myself, and then when I fail, I go, why did, why did I fail? Well, I didn't ask him, I didn't have him in it. I didn't have him in the beginning, in my plans. Sometimes we step right into our struggles without asking him what he thinks. So go ask the Lord what his plans are for you and your life. Instead of developing plans, checklists, what your future is going to look like, we need to ask him first. Let him be part of the planning. I was, as I was preparing for this message, I read a you know, little story about a um, young man who was totally in love with the Lord, wanted to do everything for the Lord. And so he started to write down on a piece of paper all the things he wanted to do for the Lord. 
And he was very genuine about it. And then he signed his name at the bottom, like a contract. And then he took it to the altar of a church and he just put it down and he knelt down, very sincere, and he was praying, Lord, this is what I want to do. Look at what I have down here. And finally the Lord said to him, Son, you've got it backwards. What I want you to do is take a blank piece of paper and just sign your name at the bottom of it. And then do the things that I, your God, write on them for you. That's what we're supposed to do. We have to stop telling him what we will do for him and start asking the Lord what he has in store for us and our life. David said in Psalm 37, 25, I was once young, but now I am old. And not once have I found a lover of God forsaken by him, nor have any of their children gone hungry. So here's David, and he's the one who had many giants, real giants, as well as other giants. And he said this my whole life. I have never seen anybody who loved God where God forsaken, forsook them. Forsook them? Forsook, okay, forsook them. <laughs> Didn't sound right. Nor will their children go hungry. He never saw that. And we never will either. If you want to defeat your giants, you have to put God first. You have to put his word first. Get him involved in the beginning. Involve him in your plans before they're made and put on paper. Because we fight this fight, and our weapons that we need are not of this world. Giants are defeated by spiritual prayer, which translates to spiritual power. We need Holy Spirit power in order to defeat these giants. Another reason we, we may still have giants is we have no weapons to fight the giants. Um, in 1 Samuel 13, 22, I found this very interesting. This was Saul and Jonathan. Um, it says, so on the day of battle, not a sword or spear could be found in the hand of any of the troops who were with Saul and Jonathan. Only Saul and his son had weapons. Why is that? Well, here's the background. The Israelites were defeated so much that what, the, what their enemies used to do when they, when they defeated the Israelites, they would not only take the weapons and the food, they would take the iron workers and the, folk, the, the smithies who would make the weapons, and they would also take the farmers and those who produced food because they realized if there was no one to make the spears, be, they couldn't fight. And if there was no food, then um, everyone would become weak and they would starve to death. So every battle that the Israelites lost, they lost more weapons, they lost more food, and they couldn't make it up. So when the battle came for Israel to fight, they had no weapons because their enemy had already possessed them. So what are you trying to use, what are we trying to use to defeat our giants? Are we relying on personal ability, intellect, charisma, 
human strength, you know, these are not powerful enough to fight these giants in our lives. Paul says, for although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons. We're not fighting a human battle at all. The battle has taken place in heavenly realms, the spiritual dimension. Your ideology and theology, that will not bring down the enemies. These are enemies that disrupt your sleep, your peace, and they rob you of your identity, and they love it. The enemy loves it. The battle has to be fought and won on a spiritual battlefield, and you must fight with spiritual weapons. Ephesians 6.12 says, your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion in the heavenly realms, for they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Let's not lose sight of that, folks. Have we allowed the enemy to capture our weapons? Has the enemy captured your joy, your prayer, your song, your testimony? Are we no longer to wage war effectively on the spiritual battlefield because there's no one to make weapons for us? God help us, and he will. He's going to help us. We We need to do whatever it takes to get our weapons back. And how do we do this? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 10 again, where it talked about we live in a natural realm and we don't wage a military campaign with human, human weapons. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance against the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war, and this is it, we capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow down in obedience to the anointed one, Jesus Christ. The greatest battle known to man is our thought life. And scripture says, as a man thinks, so he is. And when we finally understand that that is a fact, that is a truth, we're going to step from this state into this state. And this is the state where we are going to bring all of our thought life, everything that that talks about us being or makes us think we're inadequate, that we're weak, that we don't have the strength, that we can't do it, that we're full of fear, We're going to bring every thought and align it with the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? It has to be compared. And if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, get rid of it. But we don't realize we're doing it. We say it's impossible, and he says all things are possible. We say, I'm too tired, and he says, I'll give you rest. We say, nobody loves me. And he says, I love you. I can't go on. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. 
I can't figure this out and I can't do it. And he says, I will direct your steps. You can do all things. I'm not able. Our father says, I'm able. It's not worth it. Romans 8.28, it will be worth it. I can't forgive myself. He says, I forgive you. I can't manage. I will supply all your needs. I'm afraid. I have not given you the spirit of fear. I'm always worried. Cast your cares on me. I'm not smart enough. I will give you wisdom. Wisdom. I feel all alone. I will never leave you or forsake you. If our thoughts don't line up with the word of God, don't keep them, get rid of them. We need to change our way of thinking. And if we do, we'll change our lives. The de definitive source of truth comes from the pages of this book. It's the only physical weapon that we have. And it's physical only because we have binding on it. But what's in it, there's a bug. It's a gnat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but everything in here is spiritual. This is alive. This word is alive. And I was thinking about this, about this book, the book. And I, I realized that all the genres that are written today, um, this book is a mystery. This book is a love story. This book is historical. This book is a self-help bo book. Um, this book talks about leadership and business. And we can go on and on and on. One book has it all. So what we need to do is we need to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Don't allow the enemy to steal the word from your life because the word is where we find life. Solomon said, where the word of the king is, there is power, and who is going to say to him, what are you doing? Folks, Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is king, not of many. He is the king. His word is power. Hiding his word in our heart will bring light, power, and promise. Well beyond our imagination. Go get the word, put your helmet on. Pick up your sword. And sometimes that's as far as I go, but I never fight. You gotta take the battle plan, you gotta put the helmet on, you gotta take the sword, you gotta do something with it. You just can't stand there waiting. <laughs> do something with it, we have to fight. And sometimes we have giants in our lives because we've given up our praise territory. In Samuel, the Philistines were the nemesis of the Israelites. No matter which way the Israelites turned, they were always losing to the Philistines. The Philistines taunted them. Actually, the Philistines drove them crazy. And in 1 Samuel 17, you see that the Philistines had gathered in a valley a place to do battle. And the place was Socha, S-O-C-O-H. And it says in the Bible, this land belonged to the tribe of Judah. 
somehow in all of the defeats that the Israelites had, they lost this territory. And what does the word Judah mean? I love this. I found this interesting. It comes from the Hebrew word Yehuda, and it means praise. Israel gave up its praise territory. The very thing that brought them freedom, they gave up. The substance of their faith, which was expressed in praises to the Lord, they lost. They had grown cold. They had nothing to be thankful for any longer. They believed that there was nothing left to praise him for. Listen to me. If we woke up this morning, which I assume all of us did, that are sitting here, we have a reason to praise him. We should be shouting, thank you, Jesus, to him, lifting our hands up because we are allowed another day. He has never left us. He's never walked away. He's never turned his back, shaking his head, with throwing his hands up. We are his kids, we are his sons and daughters. And better yet, we are free from bondage and of sin because of what Jesus did for us. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Some of us have let those lingering giants steal our praise. Some of them are carrying, some of us are carrying burdens that we were never meant to carry. He wants to carry them for us. Let him touch you. We've got to say no more fear of giants. Stand up and take that battle plan and let whatever giants that are in your life, let them know that you have the weapons you need and you will slay them in the mighty name of Jesus, who is King of King and Lord of Lords. And then you're going to sing about it. You're going to praise him for it. And as we slay these giants one by one, as the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, we begin to see that those giants sometimes are not as big as we give them credit for. We really do give them too much authority in our lives. You see, I started to look at some of these giants and realized some of them are just annoyances. I make them bigger than what they really are. And I can swat them away like a swarm of gnats. I started to look at shadows, and what I realized is there's light coming down and there's an object, and if the light cannot go through the object, a shadow is created. And I realized that sometimes I'm looking at the shadow and it's big and it's scary, and I've taken my eyes off the light and dealing with the object. So I'm looking at the shadow when I should be turning around slaying the giant so that my direct light, my, the divine light of Jesus Christ is just coming in on me. That's why I want to slay my giants. So as you slay them with the word, weapons, and praise, they will no longer block or diminish the light of the Lord flowing into your life. So I'm urging you, let's get our praise on, let's bless him, because with the word and with the weapons and with our praise, these giants must be defeated. Thank you for letting me share with you today.